Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman. You might know me as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit podcast with Holland and Barrett. In this episode, I'm joined by Shakira Akabusi. She's the founder of the Strong Like Mum Method. Shakira is also a fitness expert. She's a motivational speaker. She's a podcast host, an author, and a pre and postnatal exercise specialist. Shakira is also a mum of four children. Shakira, welcome. It's lovely to have you here today. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And, you know, whenever I hear that someone's had four children, I always feel like taking a bow because it must be <laughs> such a lot of work. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. It is and it isn't. I mean, yes, there's four children. So it's very, it's a busy household. There's lots of chaos. But actually, I always say that number one was the biggest challenge. Like that was a big shock to the system. And I don't think anything's ever been quite as a roller coaster of a journey as that one was. Yeah, I think I can relate to that. It was like nothing else going from zero to one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. So I suppose, yeah. I mean, with them, um, I understand you've got twins as well, haven't you? I have, yeah. So again, hats off to you for that. I can just imagine for me, that would be a fog of chaos for at least two years. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you know what? With the twins, sometimes I look at them and I still get surprised that there's two. I don't know if that will ever wear off, but I can't, I actually can't believe I had twins. And sometimes if they, if I see them running off, you know, holding hands or going in opposite directions, usually most of the time, I actually get surprised. They're like, oh my gosh. I actually have twins. So two years later, and that's still a surprise. Oh, I like hearing that. You know, <laughs> sometimes I look at my children and, and wonder how it is that I actually managed to give birth to them and, and uh, mm. keep them alive for as long as I have. My children are a little bit older, though. They are, um, as I was saying to you earlier, they're eight and 11 now. So. Let's think about it. <laughs> yeah, because they've only just had birthdays, you see. My uh, my youngest turned eight just a couple of days ago. But, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a different phase of life. And I should imagine for you, it changed an awful lot when you became a mum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, hats off to you if you've got two older ones, because you've done those first five years that everyone says is apparently maybe the trickiest. I don't know. I've not got past that yet with most of mine. My eldest is seven. But yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I, I can't imagine having children that age. Mm. It comes by all too quickly. Mm. I sometimes can't believe how fast it's gone, actually. Yeah. People say that sometimes, I mean, I remember thinking this when they were little babies, that especially the sleepless nights and the tantrums, like it would feel as though you were in this time warp where time was slowing down and it was just torture. And then at other times, I'd sort of feel like I turn my head and think, oh, wow, you have yeah. grown so much. What have, I feel like I've missed it. You know, it's just, it's this weird juxtaposition of feelings I, I felt. I think I've had that mostly with my eldest because he is seven. And when he was three and a half, his brother was born. And then the twins were born two years after that. And so the last four years since his brother was born, they've gone really quick. And I suddenly, he suddenly got to seven. And so I always try to be really conscious in the day that I, take time to register him as a young child because it's all too easy to make him the older one and faff yeah. with the little ones. And so I'm trying to really slow that down because you're right, time flies. And in fact, it seems to be getting faster. The older I get or every year just gets faster. I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe that, you know, how quickly it goes. 
I'm told that happens. I think it's something to do with our the time between when we were born and where we are now is longer. So in childhood, things seem like the longest. And then as mm. you get older, each decade passes more quickly, which mm. is slightly concerning. They say, um, don't they, that the, the days can be long, but the years are short. And I think that's yeah. so true, certainly in my motherhood experience, that as you said, you have moments where you're so tired, you've got to do dinner, bath and bed for the hundredth time. And you're like, oh, I've got to still do the bath and I've got dinner. And then all of a sudden, poof, seven years. And it's yeah. just so quick. I know that you've built a lot of your work that you do now around your identity as a mum. So it would be great to hear a bit more about sort of how you feel motherhood has changed you and whether it was different to what you're expecting and you know, all of that kind of stuff that I think we all struggle with at times. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So firstly, it's, I, I certainly have, have um, changed over the years, but for me, it's been an amazing experience. So I remember so clearly in my first pregnancy, everybody would tell me these stories of all the things I would never do again, all the time. You know, I heard, oh, you'll never sleep again. You'll never have time to yourself. You'll never run as fast. You'll never be as fit. You'll never want to wear a bikini, you know, all these things. And it was always, you'll never do this again. And I was, I've, I've always been really active. And so I've always, I almost felt as though someone was telling me, you have to let go of who you are. Cause I love to run and I was in sports clubs and this and that. And there were, I felt like people were saying, you, you're not going to have time to be you, really. You're now going to sort of, you have to absorb into something else. And that was how I started Strong Like Mum, really, was in sharing that experience of my journey of motherhood. And I actually found motherhood the most empowering journey. I think there are, that's not to say there aren't challenges, because there definitely are. But I think what I've learned most through motherhood and the way that I've changed the most is you know, you learn to access new depths of energy that you never have before. And you access new, you know, areas of resilience that you haven't before and moments where I might be worried or scared or, and you just get through it because you are the parent and you want to protect your children. And it's that, that I've just found so amazingly empowering. I've, and that's where I, why I chose the name Strong Like Mum, because that's really the strength I'm talking about that you just get as a parent. And I, and I find that really empowering, sometimes scary and daunting to feel, you know, that weight of responsibility. And I, I have a big journey with um, anxiety and mental health. I've, I've been through over the years. And I think at first that the pressure of, of that responsibility was a lot, but having worked through that. And now, as I said, my oldest is seven. I've, just it's just been the most liberating and empowering experience Mm, thank you thank you for sharing that and it is interesting because I was quite worried too but before I gave birth to my first son about how my body was going to change and my life and in on the one hand it's good to be prepared that things will never be the same because life does change Mm -hmm. in many many ways but on the other hand why should you lose who you are and who you want to be? And I think hearing you talk about strong like mum, it sounds as though partly you sort of put this uh, movement together because you wanted to prove maybe to yourself or to others that you could enjoy the things that made you you. Yeah, I think, 
yeah, I think it's, 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 for me, it was being able to, I also want to, you know, I want to show my children that you can, you know, being a parent is, is incredible, but we can design parenthood to look how we want. So often there can be stereotypes attached to parenthood and really specifically motherhood is, you know, obviously my experience. And I just, I wanted to show my children that if you have a goal or if you enjoy something or something's important to you and you're passionate about something that you can keep doing that. You know, we can find space for that. And for me personally, it was important to, yeah, just to to create my own version of motherhood Mm. and not have to conform to all these stereotypes of what is and isn't, you know, expected. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's it's great for children to see their parents thriving and passionate and doing things that they enjoy because then it allows them the idea of, you know, that they could perhaps be parents and do the same, yeah, which is a, exactly. a nice, nice model to have. And my understanding is that you actually began your career in London's West End. I did. Tell me a bit more about, about your journey in that regard. So I used to be in the performing arts. I studied since I was three. You know, I was one of those children that just loved to sing and dance and be the centre of attention all the time. And so I went to drama school and did the whole thing. And then I left and I had, I started a career in musical theatre and then I actually had a vocal operation. And I didn't, there's a thing called nodules, which many performers and singers have had before. And singing was sort of like my forte, but I had, I didn't have nodules. I had cyst, which literally could have gone anywhere in my body And it went not just to my throat, but into my vocal cord of all the places in the body it could have been. So I had an operation to take that out. And unfortunately, that incision, it just never healed properly. So my my vocal cords couldn't, you know, when it healed with the scar tissue, they couldn't vibrate at the frequency that they need to, to be able to sing, you know, the register I needed to sing. So I had to leave that industry. And when I left there, I remember having a conversation with, my mum, my mum and my dad are both in the sports world, but I had a conversation with my mum, who was a personal trainer and also an injury rehab specialist. And I remember sitting down with her and saying to her, can you actually make a difference just with exercise? Because I'm terrible at selling something I don't believe in. I'm awful. I have to believe what I'm doing. Is that actually real? And I remember her saying to me, yes, you absolutely can. And so then I started training as a personal trainer. And as I was doing all of that work and working with men and women on a one-to-one basis, I remember reading an article that said that, I can't remember exactly, but the statistic was something like only 5.5%, I think it was, of fitness industry professionals are qualified in pre and postnatal. And I remember thinking that was so strange because for many women at some point in their life, they'll be pre or postnatal. And that's when I decided to sort of explore that route. And then when I started having my children and experiencing it myself, that that passion really evolved. I like to hear that you looked into pre and postnatal health before you even became a mum. Yeah, yeah, I did. Because I, I remember reading that article and just, I became very quickly after I started becoming a personal trainer, I became fascinated with the human body and just how it's all interlinked and, you know, feeling something in one area and how it might be completely somewhere else where we need to be looking. And I just really became fascinated. And then when you start exploring pre and postnatal, and this is why, you know, there's, again, one of these misconceptions that our bodies are somehow weaker or broken after having babies has just never made sense to me because when you understand everything 
that the female body does during that process, the the way that it manages things and, you know, how things change. And it's just so incredible. I can't imagine many things that are stronger than creating and birthing life. And, and then again, how it recovers. It's just fascinating. And, and, and again, I find that quite empowering and I would love to share that perspective with other people. Yeah. And I can hear how passionate you are just by the way you describe it. Um, <laughs> it's true. Like it is very true. I, I feel the same. I, I, when I went to medical school, I spent the best part of the first two years cutting up human bodies uh, so that Nothing. I could analyze them. Yes. Um, That's to a yeah. level that I'm not prepared to go. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I'll never forget the stench of the formaldehyde. Anyway, oh. I did. Digri- I do- <laughs> I digress. You know, I think (laughs) it was it was a really fascinating experience because you're sort of literally peeling off these layers of human Mm. thinking, how does all of this go together and how does it all work? And it's such a complex and beautiful machine Mm. that that we use, you know, our flesh suit to take us around this earth. And I just suit. <laughs> it is. It's really fascinating, and um, I think especially the female body and how we create life. You know, it is a is a really interesting and strong human body. So yeah, I'm glad mm. to hear your your passion for it, and I think I'm fascinated about your career change too. How do you feel now compared to how you felt then about? that shift and what it meant to you at the time because like you say of all the places that you could have that in your body it happened mm. to be the only place that was career changing yeah but what do you, what are your thoughts on that so of course there were moments where it was really difficult as i said to you i've been i've been singing and dancing since i was 3 i had literally spent my entire life preparing for this career and it's so much of my young adulthood, I bypassed some of some of those experiences that many people have in your late teenage years and your early 20s because I was so focused on what I wanted to do. So to spend all that time and then to start my career, and it started so well. I like you said, you know, I did some performances in the West End. I toured with some shows like Hairspray and High School Musical 2, and I did some really great things. And then to have that you know, taken away it was obviously really challenging. But for me, I loved, I loved to sing. And I wonder, and when I, I had the operation and then I had a second one when it didn't work, right, I had the second one. And they, you know, and then afterwards you go on something called voice rest where you do not speak at all, not a single word. And I had three weeks of not a single word. And I remember asking the doctor, like when I came out and I, and I said, if, if this doesn't work again, will I at least be able to sing happy birthday to my children? That was something I wanted to know. I just wanted to be able to at least be able to sing happy birthday. And he was like, of course. So, so then I went through that journey. I had a few years where I can't say I was necessarily lost, but um, I really struggled to think of what, what else can I be that passionate about? And I wanted, I knew I wanted to be creative and again, that's why exercise kind of worked for me, because in what I do now and the work that I do on social media, I'm still able to be really creative. Things like this, what we're doing right now. I love this. I love talking and I do workshops and I love that element of it. So, I, you know, it's it wasn't necessarily wasted. I also think that that 
three weeks of voice rest, what I wanted to mention was in that time, when you are silent, completely silent for three weeks, one, you realize how much nonsense you talk, because in order for me to communicate, I had to write it down and I was only going to spend my time writing it down if it was really important for me to say. So you realize how much nonsense you speak. But it also it's almost like you go into like a state of, of meditation at times. And I realized the things that were really important. And I love to sing and, you know, I hoped I would still be able to sing, but maybe just not in that in that way. And, and I managed to just get through that. Yeah. That's really interesting to hear about. People go on these long silent meditation retreats and well, they're not allowed to speak, but part of the retreat is mm. that they don't. And the purpose there is, as you say, to really go deep within. Mm. And yeah. so much of what we do and say is extraneous to what we actually really need. Yeah, exactly. And I think that whole journey was probably one of the few times, and I learned it again in motherhood over and over and over again. One of the first times that I really experienced something being out of my control and having to work through that. You know, there's there's only so much you can control. You, know, you send your children to school and I wish I could be there to shield my son from someone saying something horrible or, but you can't. And so there's only so many things you can control. And this was one of those things which entered my life, which I wasn't able to control. And you, know, you just have to, you, ha you find a way through it. Mm, yeah. I think that speaks to a lot of things that we suffer from or suffer with or suffer through is, is the idea of actually just just coming to an awareness that the only thing that we do have control over is how we react to those circumstances because it's not always something that we can can predict or understand. And um, often, often actually in those moments, I think also what I've learned is the power of quiet or silence, even if it's just a breath. Like if my children are throwing a tantrum, absolutely going for it, so many times I mean, still now, I'm definitely not trying to say I can do this every time, but certainly those first few experiences of parenthood, I'd be like, why will you be quiet? You know, and I would sort of rise with them. But if I can just take just half a beat to take a breath in, why are you speaking to me in this way? You know, and it, and it really, it helps them adjust. And I, you know, if we could slow more things down. So often we think that noise and loud is power and strength, which it, it can be, but actually also listening or taking a moment to stop can actually, you know, really help to calm a situation or, or, you know, allow people to feel heard. Yeah, it's very true. And also it does convey a certain element of them being able to trust that their emotions are safe with you mm. and they can use your physiology to help them calm down. Cause I know certainly from experience with my children, they, you know, they don't have the same control of their brains that they, they would like to have. Yeah. And you can see that in lots of ways. And so, you know, not um, rising to that is, uh, is important, but not always easy. But yeah, it's, it's something to be mindful of, which I love. So going back to the strong like mum method, talk me through it. What What is it? Um, I know a bit about how it came about, but what are you trying to do with it? What are your aims and what's it all about? So um, for me, the initial thing was I wanted to share the knowledge that I had. When I left hospital after the birth of my first son, 
I was handed an A4 piece of paper and it had on it one pelvic floor exercise, breastfeeding advice and some advice on contraception and all on one four piece of A4. And that was, that was it. And there was just so, you know, as someone who, uh, who, you know, had spent time really researching everything that goes on, I know how much more there is to it. And I think that we, there is often um, an environment created for women to be able to get to an acceptable level of health, but not really to have an optimum level of health. Um, and this view that, you know, we've had children and actually that's going to be your new normal. Oh, well, you have urinary incontinence. Okay. Well, that, you know, you've had a couple of babies, so that's expected. And actually that doesn't need to be the new normal for, for a woman. And so many mothers that I was meeting and working with would be confused about what they can and can't do in pregnancy or, you know, how, what exercises were safe to do when after having a baby. And so I wanted to get that information out there because for me, I think everybody should have access to that information and no one should feel confused or worried about how to be in touch with their bodies. I remember speaking to another friend who, who um, was on social media, who put out a poll and there was a really high percentage, I think, you know, above 70% of women who were saying that they were, they were worried about picking up their baby because they weren't sure in those early days after being postpartum, because they weren't sure, can they lift their baby? How do they lift their baby? What do they need to do with their pelvic floor? Which, you know, and that, that should never be something that a woman needs to worry about. So I wanted to share the knowledge, number one. I'm also the type of person that if I understand something, I'm much more likely to stick to it. So if someone says to me, okay, well, I want you to do this breathing exercise because it's going to, you know, I want you to do this breathing exercise. I'll be like, oh, I can't bother with that. That's really boring. I'm just breathing in for four, exhaling for eight. But actually, if someone says to me, look, your diaphragm's actually really interconnected with how your with how your core works. And when your diaphragm descends, it's going to impact your pelvic floor. So the first thing we want to do to rehabilitate your pelvic floor is learn how to take a proper inhale, because in so doing, we're going to be able to get much more power and strength through the pelvic floor. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to breathe in for four and exhale for eight, because that sounds like something I should be doing. You know, so giving women the knowledge to understand. I think also with pre and postnatal, People can be really concerned and worried about giving advice because it's so different for everybody. But if we can share the knowledge, then women can feel confident in doing what's right for them once they understand, you know, what is what's what they need. Um, so that was the first thing. Then I think I've become fascinated with the instinct of the female body and, you know, mentally our instinct, but also what our body instinctually naturally does and also sort of modern day movement patterns and how we could learn from original homo sapien women about how they moved and carried their babies. And, you know, that instinct is still within us today. So then I wanted to sort of fuse that together. And then thirdly, I would say what is really important to me is that physical and mental health are so interconnected. I shared with you that I have my own history with maternal mental health and my physical health and my mental health are so completely interlinked and both can impact each other. And I think we need to be looking at a complete picture when we're, when we're working with pre and postnatal women. And that is, it's physical and mental health, but it's also nutrition, sleep, how important rest is for our body to really recover. And if we can understand all of that, it sounds like a lot, but it, it, once you begin to understand it, it, it really begins to make sense and it can be quite simple. So I really wanted to share that so that women can make up their own mind about the motherhood they wanted to create. And it doesn't need to be, oh, everybody, you've got to 
you know, you've got to get yourself to a position where you can run a 5K or run a half marathon. It doesn't need to be that. But being able to enjoy having a, a healthy, active body, picking up your children, playing with your children in the garden, keeping up with the energy of your children, feeling comfortable in your own skin, those types of things are what I'm really passionate about. Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, I, I can see that from how you describe it. And as you describe it, I think about and reflect upon naturally upon my own journey in that regard and um, about my medical training. And we do see women postpartum, but only once really. And I do try to spend as long as I can talking about how their mental health is, talking about pelvic floor exercises, talking about how they're settling into motherhood. But I think it's missing that sense of community. It's mm. missing that sense of actually being able to sit into a conversation with somebody who has the experience to share some tips and advice that, that, that they could really benefit from. So I love that you're doing it. I think it's a really important thing uh, that no doubt is giving you a lot of purpose mm. because yeah. this is something that affects almost every woman many, many of us will go through these experiences and many of us will go through these things feeling quite alone. So I really am grateful that you are doing it and sharing all these bits of information that you've been researching over the years, as well as your own personal experience. You mentioned that your mental health and physical health are so intimately linked. How did you first begin to even think about getting into exercise after having each of your four children what did you what tips did you use or tell yourself that helped you along that journey so for me I exercised throughout my pregnancies and then continued to exercise postpartum and it was so imperative so in terms of my mental health I had severe OCD and to the point you know it was really really extensive to the point where I was working pregnant with my first son and I was working in Brick Lane and I had to walk from Brick Lane to Liverpool Street, which is about a seven minute walk. And it would take me over three hours because of all the stopping and tapping and walking over this crack in the road. And blah, blah, blah. I just, it was, it was all consuming. It had complete control of me. And it was every evening, it would take me about four hours to get to bed, two hours downstairs, two hours upstairs. I remember walking up and down my stairs a million times. It was just really extreme is what I'm trying to um, express. And I ended up doing a whole range of therapies. I did talk therapy. I um, did hypnotherapy. And what, what hypnotherapy gave me that was really great was that it allowed my, when you have something like anxiety, the thoughts, it's so constant, you know, and there would always be something that I was stressed or worried about or trying to control. And if I did hypnotherapy, what it allowed me to do was slow the thoughts enough that I could begin to distinguish between what is anxiety and what is instinct. Because as a mother, you're always told, trust your instincts. If I, if my child's not well and I take them to the doctor, the doctor will check them over and go, oh yeah, they're fine. I think they're fine. But you know, you're the mum, so trust your instincts. And if, if you need to, just bring them back. And if you've got something like anxiety, it's really difficult because I could not tell, is this my instinct or is this anxiety? And um, when I did hypnotherapy, it allowed me just to slow that process. And I began to be able to differentiate between, okay, I think that maybe I'm, I'm, you know, 
making that bigger in my mind. Maybe I can just, and I would be able to manage my thought process. And exercise gave me the same thing. If I was really stressed, one of my children's sick, still now today, one of my children isn't well, and I'm going, oh, I don't know what that is. And what's that mark? And if I can go out for a 20 minute walk or a 20 minute run and just take myself out of that space, then I could come back and I'd have a much clearer perspective to be able to, to cope with the challenges that I was facing. So it was never negotiable to me. I needed to move my body. Nowadays, we see exercise as like an extracurricular thing to life. But there was a time, you know how I said to you earlier about the instinct of the human body. Our instinct is to move. Our body was built to move. We were not built to just sit all day. And we are built to be outside and we want oxygen and just going outside and walking or stretching, just go outside and reach your arms up and stretch would really, really, really help. Um, and that was that, that for me is the biggest anchor into why I love movement so much. Mm, thank you. Thank you for explaining that so well. And um, there is a reason why we love being in nature and why we need to move our bodies. Um, I find it a really fascinating thing that, you know, now with social media as it is, we have that immediate dopamine hit when we start scrolling and we sort of see likes or we see things that are funny and it kind of pulls us away from those things that would otherwise have been so integral to our well-being. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is that something that that you've noticed in your life or that has bothered you? And how do you kind of get that right balance between using social media for your business um, and reminding yourself, you know, about about the things that your body and mind really need for health? Yeah, it's um, I was having a big conversation about this the other day, actually, because it can be difficult and as you said, social media can be such a temptation because you get that instant either validation or, you know, connection. Um, But my children love to be outside. So that takes me outside a lot. And also, yeah, if my children are in a bad mood, if we're inside all day, they start to go a little bit like frantic and they're fighting. If we go outside instantly, they calm down. I'm not saying it's all roses all the time, but it definitely impacts their mood. Um, and I enjoy it. And I think that's the other thing that is a shame. So often exercise is a chore now and we see it as something like, okay, I've got to go and do burpees in the gym. Like there's so many ways it doesn't have to be structured exercise in that way. Maybe you're building an obstacle course with your kids. I mean, motherhood is a very active job. job. It's a, a very active role. So often we're moving a lot anyway. But yeah, building dens, doing an obstacle course. We love to go to the beach. We have a dog and as big a pain as he sometimes can be because he's so hairy, it's unbelievable. And that's a lot of work. But he gets us outside every day. We've got to take the dog out. So we get outside. And for me, I know how important that is for me and how important that is for my body. And my body, our bodies get us through every single day. It gets us up every morning. It carries us around. It, you know, senses things and warns us about this, that, and the other. I, I owe it to that, to take it outside and give it what, what it really wants. Yeah. 
that's a good point. Um, and I, I tend to be tempted to stay in rather than go out. So that's a good reminder for me as well. And I have, I have a dog and she does force me to go out on some walks. Yeah. I used to, um, last year I was doing marathon training and I, I would sometimes bring her along for those runs as well, which she really enjoyed doing. Yeah. Wow. Um, you just, I mean, that's the contrary. You were like, I like to, I like to be indoors, but I ran a marathon. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I know. I need to get back in that mindset of being a marathon runner. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm really not in that mindset. So you've encouraged me to try and get out the door at some point today. Um, so yeah, I think um, it's been really useful to reflect on that. And you mentioned about sleep as well. Uh that's one of the things that feels somewhat out of control in parenthood. Mm. How, I mean, how do you deal with that when, I mean, maybe your kids are great sleepers, all of them. I don't know. But if not, um, how would you advise parents who are struggling with sleep? Um, do, would you have any tips for them at all? Yeah. So I, like you, I sleep was always one of those things where I was like, I'm not sure Mother Nature got that right because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, you know, in that in that third trimester of pregnancy when I really need to sleep because I'm about to have newborn twins. But I can't sleep for love nor money because I'm so uncomfortable or I'm so hot and I've got to sit in bed because I can't lie down anymore because the twins are. <laughs> How what's happened here? Because <laughs> this doesn't feel right. Um, and then again in early parenthood when you really need the sleep and. It, it's just, it's all interrupted and it can be really difficult. Um, so firstly, when I can get it, I'm a big fan of a nap. But again, it's got to be, you know, there's that 20 minute theory that 20 minutes is the best length of time to have for a nap because you don't enter that deep sleep yet, but you you get some of the benefits of sleep. But then it also depends the time of the day. So I wrote a whole chapter on sleep in this book because I love it so much. <laughs> so there's a whole chapter on sleep, which is basically just talks through the times of day that are best to get what type of sleep if you can nap. Um, but often we can't. I've got four children, so getting a nap is not going to happen. Um, and then it's about doing things that recharge. So we have, I mean, you'll, you'll know, obviously we have highs and lows of um, cortisol throughout the day. And we have, we have a dip that can be, I think it's between three and five, something like that. So around that, and it's called like the afternoon slump. So, you know, how I said at the beginning, like dinner, bath and bed right before that time, I'm always so tired. I can actually barely keep my eyes open. And I'm thinking, oh, I've still got to get dinner ready. I'm going to bath them all, put them in pajamas, read a story, put them in bed. I'm so tired. But we will get another natural lift again then after that. Um, but it's a, for me, it's about getting the right type of rest and recharging. So something as simple as if you lie down on the floor and you put your feet up onto your sofa, or if you're pregnant and you, you'd rather sit, you can sit and raise your legs up onto a footstool or something. But the higher your legs, the better. We're going to encourage that return blood flow from the lower extremities that's going to help to spread oxygen back back around equalize around our body and we're going to get a little bit more energy from that so I do things like that and literally just lying down for three minutes with my legs up and I'll stand up I will feel better and then again if I open a window or I go outside I can instantly get a little bit more energy so I just it is really really difficult it is really difficult but as we said at the beginning, you know, the days can seem long, but the years are short. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's seven years. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. I like that tip though. I might use that in a minute because I'm feeling my I'm feeling my afternoon slump coming on. I might just go lie down and put my my feet up in the air for a bit yeah. and maybe go outside. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so this is the wellness edit. So we have to talk about the the concept of wellness, obviously, and you've you've talked so much around it in so many really useful ways. You've given some incredible tips for everybody to to um, actually practically put into their lives. I'm curious though, that it, the word wellness can have different meanings to different people. Um, is that something that you've ever thought about? Like what what the concept of wellness means to you? Yeah, um, absolutely. For me. I think it's about balance um, and and feeling that balance. So we can talk about balance in terms of, yes, um, you know, get get lots of exercise, but also make sure you rest, find the balance. Yes, you know, with everything, we need balance, right? Nutritional balance, yes. But actually feeling balanced, feeling comfortable in who you are and, you know, and that's something that I'm really proud of. Probably my greatest achievement to date is is going through all that OCD anxiety that I got through. I'm now 99.9% recovered. I don't have any compulsions on a general day to day. I always think with mental health, you have, um, you know, daily, it's something that you work on and you manage, but I go to bed in about 30 seconds. So like, you know, com- completely different now. And my it's my greatest achievement is getting to a place where I have, you know, things that I want to do and places I want to see and all, but I'm also really comfortable in just being myself. And I think that's probably the, the, the greatest thing that we could all try to, you know, to, to feel feeling comfortable yeah. and, and balanced. I like that. And and the fact that you shared earlier about how you would literally take three hours to do a five minute walk because of how crippled you felt essentially by the compulsions that you were experiencing to the point where you are comfortable in your own skin, confident with where you are. Uh, that's an, a really incredible journey and you're right to be, feel proud of that. Yeah. I always wished back then, I was like, can someone just tell me if I don't do this, one, two, three, four, five, just someone tell me that everything's still going to be okay. You know, because I always felt like if I didn't do this, something would happen. And I can now tell, uh, firstly, I could say to someone, nothing is going to happen. And secondly, I can say to someone, well, nothing's going to happen because you don't do that. And also I can say to people that, you can get through it. I literally felt like I will never get rid of it. It's, I cannot possibly get rid of it. And, and, and I did completely did. Um, so it's possible, but it's a big journey. It is. And in your experience, obviously everybody is different, but for you, was it something that changed uh, swiftly after, um, like an epiphany moment, or was it something that you gradually trained yourself to notice things differently? Both. So what actually happened was we were meant to go on a flight to, this was during my second pregnancy. Um, as I was pregnant for the second time, I had my eldest who was three and a half and we were meant to go on holiday to California and we got all the way to the airport 
and I, it was a horrible car journey and I was like crying and blah, blah, blah. got to the airport and the doors opened to the airport and there were all these cracks in the road. And I literally was like, I can't, I can't do that. I cannot, I can't make it to the check-in desk, let alone the plane and the holiday. I can't do it. So we had to explain to our three and a half year old that we're not going on holiday to California, explain to all our family and friends in California that we're not coming and get in a taxi and go all the way home. And that was the moment where I was like, this has complete complete control of my life and now it was harming my family when I thought that I was helping to keep everyone safe and then we we when we got back home I was like okay I'm not doing it and we went to go for a walk so we got home we put our bags down we went to go for a walk with all of us and I left the house and I didn't step over the crack outside the house and as I did that my son went oh mama you forgot to do the the thing you know it's like you forgot to do the thing he was three and a half and that's when I was like, okay, I have, I've actually got to now sort this out because he was absorbing everything and I did not want him to grow up with that same being controlled. You know, I really didn't want him to to have that. So that was kind of the start. Wow. Yeah. What a powerful moment. Um, and then... Did you ever end up going back to California after that? We did. We did. And it was it was still a really difficult journey. Uh, it was still really difficult, but we did. We have been back a couple of times since then and I just walked onto the plane. That was good. I'm very yeah. glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been such a really uh, heartwarming chat. It's been really insightful. Um, and thank you for sharing all the things that you have. I know our listeners will get an awful lot from it uh, because there are, you know, big gaps in the provision that we have in this society for things like community and well-being. And so to just even connect with your story, I think, is a very special thing. So thank you for thank that. You. Thank you for and, having me um, on. Yeah, it's been an absolute joy. Um, so yes, thank you. And where can people find out more about your work? I imagine that they can see you on social media. What's the best place to find you? Yeah. So they can find me on shakira.akabusi, um, on social media across the platforms. Um, and then the book is called the strong like mom method. So you can find me there and you can also look at the website, which is stronglikemom.com. And I think for, if there are any women out there, you know, as I said, physical recovery, and mental recovery it's so, and mental health they're, they're so important particularly for mothers because how we feel has a direct impact on our family and I would certainly I mean you know you can come find me or read the book or or there's so much information out there but I would push to find your answers that would be my you know something I'd really love for people to take away is that the answers are out there it doesn't need to be you don't it doesn't need to be a struggle. You can actually thrive in motherhood. I've run personal bests since having all my children. I've, you know, you can be physically strong and enjoy movement and enjoy your body. And, you know, there's so many things you can, you can create whatever design of motherhood you want. There, there doesn't need to be a label on you. And if you've got answers that you need, or you've got questions about your recovery, then push for those, push to be seen by a medical professional or, you know, go and find those answers of women's health physio or whatever. Thank you. That's great advice to finish with. And also I'm sure there's lots of information in your book, Strong Like Mum, and also from the website. And 
all on your page as well. I mean, you provide all sorts of great education, even on your Instagram page. So yeah, yeah, really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what's next for you and for Strong Like Mum. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today in my chat with Shakira Akabusi. She was just so effervescent with passion for her topic and it was great to hear more about her personal journey and how it led her to where she is today. I think we can all gain lessons from when life takes a big U-turn and the things that you plan for, the things that you expect don't always turn out. Uh, But the way that she was able to grab hold of her new life with both hands and then inspire other people uh, was something really special. So I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. If you felt inspired, feel free to share this episode with any loved ones, especially perhaps women who are about to embark upon the journey of motherhood or who are pregnant or who are struggling postnatally. And I will be joining another great guest again next week where we'll be talking about wellness and how to fit it into your day. And remember, you can also find all episodes of The Wellness Edit on your favourite podcast platform and via the Holland and Barrett website at hollandandbarrett.com. I'll see you again next time. All views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.